Well, once again, good morning, good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, this morning, we're going to start the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians. So if you have your Bible with you, pull it up. Uh, go to Galatians chapter 1. If you don't, you can use your phone, your iPad, whatever you want. That's okay. Um, now, as we always do, uh, when we start a new book, we, only, we like to give a little bit of a background, where we're talking about, who is there. So Galatia actually refers to an area of what's now modern-day Turkey, more to the north of it. We have a map, and it's going to be over here where it says Galatia. Um, I don't know if you can see down here, just for example, it says Iudia, that's Judea, or where Jerusalem, Israel is. Um, that's a Latin map, and um, in Latin they don't have the letter J, so that's why you see the Iudia, where we pronounce it Jerusalem. The word Galatia actually comes from the word Gaul, which was a group of people that came from northern Europe, uh, France, Italy up there, and came in, down here and fought their way and took over Galatia. Originally the Greeks did, then uh, have you ever heard of the Gaelic Wars? That's where that's refers to. And then the Rome came back around and took it back over. So there's always fighting going on in that area. Now what's interesting is about Galatia is that when Paul wrote this letter, he was not writing it to one single church. He was writing it to the area, to the churches in Galatia. And he wrote it to teach those, church, those churches about Jesus Christ so they could understand who he was, what he taught, and also to keep them on track. And at the time he wrote this, the early church was still struggling to understand what it exactly meant to be Christian, to be a Christ follower. For example, did you have to be Jewish? Did you have to be circumcised? you have to follow the Jewish laws, the holidays, all that kind of stuff? Um, basically, how Jewish did you need to be? Now, that may seem like a strange question, but in the early church, that was a very real question. Um, the very early church, when it started out, the disciples, Jesus Christ, they weren't Lutheran, Catholic, Baptist. What were they? They were Jews. It was, they were Jews. And as the church spread from town to town farther and farther out, they encountered more and more Gentiles, more non-Jews. And so these questions came up. And so that's where this come from. And, and just so we're on the, on the same page, the early Jewish Christians, there were some of them telling the Gentiles that you needed to become Jewish. You needed to be set, uh, circumcised. You need to follow, us, follow laws. And they didn't necessarily do that to be controlling, but they thought that's what you needed to do. They thought that's what you needed to, uh, to do to be right with God. The problem was, though, is they were thinking of themselves and using their own logic instead of seeking the answers from God and what Jesus Christ himself said. Now, but before we go too far into that, let's start with Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, and let's read what Paul says, because I think it's a good idea that we start out with him, because he's going to teach us and lead us to what we need to know. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. So the reason Paul starts out this way, with almost like a mini resume, if you look at his words, is because he's highlighting his authority to speak for God. Whenever there was a religious disagreement, different ideas, it always came down to who had the authority to speak. Who was in charge? Who did God actually send? Because that's what's going to supersede others. So Paul, this is not a mistake, he's calling himself an apostle because he, along with the other 12 disciples, were specifically chosen by one man. Who? Jesus Christ, to start the church, to lay the foundation, right? And so that's what he wants to highlight. He's not giving his opinion. He's not giving his thoughts. He's saying this is, 
the message from Jesus Christ. That's why he starts out this way. Because we know he's going to go into some other issues. He's saying, yes, I know there's questions. I know you don't know what to do or what you, how Jewish you should be, but I want you to listen to me. I'm an apostle. I was sent, so pay attention. And this is just the introduction to his letter. Now that he's introduced himself, he's going to start to share the message that he was sent to convey, right? His true purpose. And what's cool is there's a lot of things he could have said. Like if you ever read the New Testament or even the Old Testament, there's a lot of teachings in there. He's going to get real specific right away. And he's going to do this because the authority God has given him and the message that he carries. So it's really big. Let's read this, verses uh, 3 to 5. He says, To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. So the first things he lists here are the words grace and peace. Now, uh, for all of you, a number of you have probably been to church before, you may have been Christians uh, for a long time. But for just humor me now, for this morning, try to forget the words, what you know about the words grace and peace. Forget that you've had the Bible, you've studied, you, you know, forget everything you know about those two words, and let's just learn what Paul wants us to know. Remember, because uh, imagine it's 50 A.D. We live in an area of uh, the world called Galatia. Everything we know about Jesus Christ, we've heard word of mouth. The New Testament had not been written yet. So we have all this stuff. I mean, you may, who's got a Bible with them right now? Right? That did not exist at that point. There were, the Old Testament did in certain scrolls, but they did not have a unified book. The, the New Testament wasn't there. They didn't have, to have anything to rely on, just word of mouth. So now this guy Paul comes, and he's going to give them the teaching. He, he, he knew Jesus, he knew the other disciples, and he knows all the little bits in between the how and the why, so it's important. So like Paul does, let's start with grace and let's learn what God means when he gives us his grace. Grace, in its simplest form, is God's undeserved love, favor, and attention. And that's what it is. And what's cool about it is the Bible repeatedly calls it free. It's free to us. It doesn't cost anything. And when, when it's free, when God gives us something like that, free, it tells us something about his character, right? Because of how he treats us. First off, if you ever re receive something for free, you know you don't have to do what? Give anything in return. Doesn't cost you. Buck 50, what? You know, 10, 25, how much do I owe? It doesn't cost anything. Or it's not a negotiation. Okay, you give me this, and I'll give you that. Well, you need to give me more because I want them. It, it's none of that. It's a free. It's a one-way road from God to us, right? And that's what it is. The second thing we need to know about this is this free gift of grace. While it's free to us, it was not free to God. Okay? It comes at a cost to him. First, if you've actually studied the Old Testament, even the New Testament, God has to endure our sins, which means God's in heaven and he's seen how the world has operated for thousands of years and he's had to watch all the things that we do to each other. Number one, right? He's done that. Secondly, this free gift of grace cost him his son, Jesus Christ. All right? And Jesus, we know this specific act of dying for our sins cost him a lot because what happened to him? He was arrested, he was tortured, he was beaten, and he was nailed to a wooden cross to die. But it's more than that. Right before he died, before he gave up his spirit, he yelled something out. He says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? So while Jesus Christ died for our sins, the moment before his death, what happened? God the Father left him. So he died alone on that cross for us. So this free gift of grace that takes away our sins came at an extremely high cost 
to him, that painful separation. And the other thing we need to know about this free gift of grace is that it's permanent. It's to us. We don't have to give it back. It doesn't, we don't have to share it with other, with other people. God gives that to each one of us. Now, the final thing we need to know about this grace is that it made us rich. We are truly blessed. While it made us rich, Jesus, it made poor. He gave up so much so that we can have this. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 tells us this. It's particularly well explains it. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you his poverty might become rich. So this means, think about it, Jesus gave up his place in heaven. He was in heaven, all right? And he was born where? In a stable. He wasn't born in a hospital or a palace, and some of us own animals. I mean, if I have some pigs and some goats. If you ladies, you want to come and look what a stall looks like, and then imagine having a baby in that spot. He was not born into wealth. He was born into poverty, essentially. He lived a meager life, and his whole life was dedicated to the service of others. And, at the, and then he actually ended up giving his life for us. So this idea of free grace to us, which is amazing, came an incredible expense to God and his son, Jesus Christ. It's just this mind-boggling, huge gift. And here's what's great about it. This is particularly what's special about it. We didn't have to do anything first to earn it. We didn't have to make a promise that we were going to do anything first, right? Romans 5.8 discusses this really, really well. This is an amazing verse. Always remember this. If you have your phone, take a picture of it, write it down. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That's, the next word is important. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we didn't have to improve first. We have to promise anything. While we're doing all this, what happened? Jesus died for us. We got this gift. While we're guilty, this happened. During that time, this is when God acted. And this is, this is the picture of God. This is the, this is the image of God that Paul wants the churches in Galatia to realize. He wants to get this picture in their head. He wants them to stew over it and think about it and internalize it. But that's not all. Paul also offers the blessing of God's peace. Now, to be honest, peace is one of those interesting words. It's been around for a long time. And over the past couple thousand years, it has some different meanings, different connotations between different cultures, even today. When people use the word peace, it means different things. Peace can mean absence of war, absence of violence, right? But it can also mean you wish someone a good, pleasant day, right? No messiness. Everyone just want a good, I just need some peace of mind, which means what? It's messy, it's all, I just need, right? The way the Bible uses that word is completely different. The way Jesus uses it is different. The Greek word here that Paul uses for peace is irene, and it means wholeness, completeness in your soul. See, that's, that's kind of heavy duty when you stop and think about it, right? It means all the essential parts are joined together. And it's essentially the Greek version of the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. And that means completeness, prosperity within God's plan. Right? And that's heavy duty. That's beautiful, though, right? And so Paul offers this blessing of peace. He means completeness, wholeness within God's plan for your life, right? And that's cool when you think about it. This is how he's starting out his letter, right? Now, to make this more direct, so we really understand the concept of peace and how it should apply to each one of us, I want to share how Jesus used that word. And the next verse we're going to share comes from John chapter 14. But like we always do, when we, when we talk about a verse, I want to share some context. 
Um, what we're going to read now is it's the story of the, uh, the Last Supper, and Jesus and the disciples are together. And it sounds very idyllic, very wonderful for us, but it was actually very stressful for them because toward the end of the meal, Jesus describes how he's going to leave them. And where he is going, they cannot follow him. And this would have been very distressing because they left their livelihoods, left everything, and followed him for about a period of three years. And now the religious, the, the, the authorities are coming after them. They can feel the heat. And now their leader says, I'm going to be leaving you, and you can't follow me. And so they're, they're getting scared. They don't understand. And they don't know what they're going to do next. They don't know what the, what's going to happen. And so it's in this heavy emotional state where they feel like they're being abandoned in a sense that Jesus says this. It's in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you the way the world gives. Then he says, do not, your, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So look at Jesus' words closely because he's not saying peace. I hope there's no absence of violence. I hope there's no violence. You know what I mean? It's something different. He's giving them his peace, part of himself. He knows something about this world, something that he's bringing that should allow them to have peace. And that's uniquely different. Like, it's not like a, you know, like a Hallmark card, wish you well, have a great day, right? He's talking about peace in this world that's closing in around them. So how are they able to have peace? Because he's the Messiah. There's something bigger going on. His peace is meant to bring them comfort, unity, completeness within God's plan for their life while all this other stuff is going on. God is in control. There is a plan. The creator of the world, the Messiah, are with them. And because of that, that's why they can have peace, right? It's really cool stuff. So when Paul bring, begins his letter to the Galatians with grace and peace to you, he's taking these mammoth concepts and putting it at the forefront of his letter. And what's cool here is actually the order of these words that's listed. Grace and peace to you. Because you can't have peace without God's grace, God's grace means he's there for you, he loved you, he's, he sacrificed his son for you, you, he has you in his plans. Therefore, you can have peace. You have nothing to fear. Right? Peace in all situations. This is God's church. It's built on Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Now, let's continue with verse 4 and see what Paul tells us next. But keep in mind, he's referring to Jesus. So starting off of verse 4. Uh, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's actually there's three important ideas in here. Number one, Jesus gave himself to rescue us. To rescue us. That means that we were in harm's way. And that's an important distinction to make. Because before Jesus, our sin separated us from God. We were on a path to damnation. We were separated from God. Nothing was going to change that until Jesus Christ did what? Died on the cross, until he saved us, all right? Until he came into the picture. Now, the second point that Paul is making is that all this was due to the will of God the Father. God the Father did this on purpose. He made that choice. He knew each one of us. He made this choice to save us, right? Paul's point is to make this personal. God knows them. He wants them to understand how great this gift is that God's giving. And the third point Paul makes is because of what God did through Jesus Christ, that he should get all the glory and the honor forever. This is something that 
we should give to God in, in return out of thanks because we, we are so blessed, because we have peace. We have no reason to worry. Therefore, we should be joyful and uh, rejoice with God. And that's a great, great way to start this out. Now, now we're going to move into the next part of the letter to the Galatians, and you're going to see it's going to take a huge left turn. Paul's now going to begin to address some of the problems that are going on in this church. He's just laid this great foundation, but now he's going to switch gears. And the reason he's going to do this is because the problems that are occurring in this church are a really, really big deal, and they can affect the health of the church, the future of the church. So he needs to address them. There are uh, verses 6 through 8. So let's read them, and then we're going to talk about them. Starting at verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. At all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So there's what's going on right off the bat. We see that Paul is concerned how quickly this is unfolding. Remember, Paul was not new to being an evangelist. He'd actually been doing this for about 15 years at this point. He knew uh, problems arise in churches. Things happen. You get a lot of people together, a lot of different ideas. It happens. What concerns him here with the speed with which things are happening, right? And he says they're switching to a new gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So people are being turned away, and it's happening really fast. And the future of this church, the churches in this area uh, called Galatia, are really at risk because it could actually crowd out the real gospel, what this is supposed to be about. So Paul is being direct. Now, I don't know if you have noticed this, but a lot of the letters that Paul wrote to other churches, uh, to the Romans, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, he starts them out with um, how he gives thanks for how great they're doing. Thanks and praise, right? With the Galatians, he didn't do that. He started off talking about grace and peace and then right into what is going on. The wheels are falling off. What is happening, right? So he heads in a completely different direction. But now, what is that problem? Paul's actually going to give us some insight. It's in verse 6. It's this phrase where he says, people, they're turning away from the one who called you to live in the grace of Jesus Christ. Of Christ. There's that word grace again, which is free. People are turning away from this free gift of grace through Jesus Christ, right? So what are they turning away from? If it's free, what are they going to? Works. Works-based salvation. It's likely from the requirements of the Jewish law. More than likely, there were Jews teaching that in order to truly be saved, believe in Jesus, that's great, but you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the law. Sometimes you hear this word Judaizers, but basically that's what it is. That's what they were trying to do. Following the Jewish law is what matters the most. And that is completely separate from this gift of free grace. And it's going to something called works-based salvation. And Paul rightly says that is no gospel at all. It's something that's false. Now, just for the sake of the argument, because we're 2,000 years out from this, right? We got Paul on the one hand saying, this is the real gospel, the gospel, quote, unquote, quote, gospel, right? The other side, no, this is the other one. How do we know which one? How do we know which one's true? How do we know Paul is right? Like, how do you know? Right? Decent question. Well, Jesus actually told us. It's there. It's completely, it's right there. And let's read this. This is a very popular verse. John three sixteen. This is Jesus talking, not me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, what's it say? Believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now look closely. I want you to put me on the spot 
and Jesus, because he's the one who said it, what does that actually say? If you believe, you'll be saved. There's nothing in there about works. There's nothing in there about denomination. Nothing. That's really all it is. And so I bolded a couple words. You could take everything else out and just have the bolded words. It says, God loved, he gave, and whoever believes is not going to perish, but have eternal life. It's very simple, but it's, it's right there. That's the gospel from Jesus' own mouth. That's the gospel that Paul was preaching. And when Paul encountered these other churches in Galatia and learned they were teaching the stuff about works and you had to do this and that, he got really, really riled up, and rightfully so, because when you start to throw works into it, it has nothing to do with faith anymore. Right? And there's a really, people don't understand this, there's a really, really big danger in that. I want to pause for a second and make sure everyone understands, because it's imperative we get this right. Because here's the million-dollar question. Every one of you needs to answer this before you leave today. If you have a works-based salvation, like you need to be circumcised, you need to go to Hollywood, whatever it is, I mean, pick whatever checkoff list, add it to that, right? That's your list, and you do that. Can you do all that and still not know anything about Jesus Christ? Yes. You can do all that stuff. You can do all Think of the Jews. You can, you can, you can follow all 100, 613 laws to the T, you know, all that stuff, and you don't know anything about Jesus Christ. Pick whatever checkoff list, whatever religion, whatever denomination you want. What it comes down to is faith. Because we just read what Jesus said in John 3.16. It was very clear, right? Whoever believes. And that's what this comes down to. Works-based salvation is extremely dangerous. It's dangerous for two reasons. Number one, it leads you to believe you're on the right track. You're doing it. Like you're checking all this stuff off. Yay, A+. Plus, right? Check off sheet. But what's actually happening, it gives you the impression that you're doing it on the right track, but you are not. You're being led astray. Works-based salvation blinds you. It's a very, actually, it's a very dangerous uh, ploy that Satan uses. He has a lot of arrows in his quiver, and that's one of them. Because remember, his, Satan's first goal is not for you to worship him. His first goal is for you not to worship Jesus, not to know it. He doesn't care how that happens. Pick anything you want, just not Jesus Christ. Yeah, work your, yes, keep doing all that. Yes, that's great. You don't know Jesus. That's what this is about. That's why Paul was so riled up. That's why he worked so hard to root this out. And let's be honest, it had more to do than just with the churches of Galatia. Paul was an evangelist. He had spent his time going all around that area, and he was going to go to more areas. So he was focused on the bigger picture. He knew that the church was going to continue to grow. I mean, remember, it had only been 20 years since Jesus had been crucified. It was already covered this nice area around Israel, Jerusalem, and the Mediterranean Sea. It had not gotten to Europe, Asia, Americas, anywhere. The church had just started to grow. So as it started to grow, it could grow on what? Works, 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 works. Or on Jesus Christ. It was in its infancy, and it was going to continue to expand. It could do one or the other. And Paul says, it is not happening on works. I'm telling you that right now. That is not happening. He knew the gospel was going to continue to spread. He knew Jesus Christ was real because of the experience he had. He knew it was going to happen. And because he was sent out, his job was to make sure it started on Jesus Christ. And it was rock solid on him. And that's why Paul cared so much. Even more to the point. Let's make it personal. Everyone look around the room for a second. Look at everybody else's faces. 
This is very right. I know it looks funny when you do that, but go on, here. Go on with me. Each one of you are here today because Paul stayed true to the gospel. You know how you know that? What book are we talking about? Galatians. Written 2,000 years ago to that one area, and we still study it. Because the gospel was going to spread. He made sure it was real on Jesus Christ because he knew it was going to continue to places like this. And it could either be based on works in this checkoff sheet or it could be based on who? Jesus Christ. That's why it mattered. See, and it mattered to Jesus. That's why Jesus um, made sure to pick the right people. That's why he picked the disciples. That's why he picked Paul because he knew the truth needed to go out and he needed to make sure whoever spreaded that gospel didn't put their fingerprints all over it their own ideas, their own thoughts. This is exactly what Jesus said. This is what he meant. That's what they were doing. So let's continue. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Because if you think, this was interesting, if you think Paul was riled up that then, let's read what he's going to go into now. Verses 8 and 9. But even, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so I now say again, so this is the second time, if anybody is preaching a gospel to you other than what you accepted, let them be other, under God's curse. So uh, perfectly, to be perfectly honest, it would be difficult to be more riled up than Paul is at the moment. And I say this because he's making it clear that any teachings from man, heck, even teachings from an angel that are different from the actual gospel that Jesus gave, they should be what? under God's curse, right? Now, I think we should pause for a second and we should clarify why somebody would want to change the gospel. Like, why would that even happen? And I think it helps to understand that because then it helps us prevent, from, prevent us from ever doing that. The main reason people do this, the main reason this happens is because what the gospel says about each one of us. To accept the gospel of Jesus Christ means each person here, and I'm like looking at everybody's face as quickly as I can, means you have to personally admit you are a sinner. You have done things you need to repent of. And not the easy stuff. Not the easy, like someone cuts you off on the road, and you're like, all right, fine. I mean real stuff. Stuff that you've done in your history that you don't want anybody to know about. Stuff you don't want your spouse to know about. Certainly not your pastor things that you have done, and here's the thing, you are personally responsible for, that you can't put blame on anybody else. See, to accept Jesus Christ is to accept that you have to repent for everything. Not like a smorgasbord. I'll take a little of this, take a little of that. Everything. You did that. And then he is going to wash all of your sins away. All of them. And as someone who's talked to people who are Christian and non-Christian, even from other faiths, when you get to that level of sin, that level of personal responsibility, it's very hard to accept. It's extreme. That's where the, you, you know, as a pastor, where the gospel stops is getting, the most difficult time is getting one grown adult to either accept total responsibility or totally forgive another person who has truly wronged them. That's where it stops. Going to church and hearing this great stuff about blessings and peace, fabulous. You can come to church all the time and hear that, right? It's great. But you have to accept responsibility. That's where it stops. That's where it's the hardest. 
And that's not all. That's just the forgiveness part, right? We're, us taking responsibility, we're supposed to forgive others who do that to us. It's like pouring hot sauce on a wound. And even more, we're supposed to love and forgive the way Jesus did, not the way humans do, or what's normal for humans, for what normal for Jesus. That's even harder. And here's a great example of this. Now, this is one of my more favorite verses because I love when I read about the disciples. They did some amazing things, and they did, but they're also very human. If you really read their story, you get to see them grow in their faith. You get to see them learn, right, and, and what they're supposed to be doing. And this is one of those verses where when they heard about the level of forgiveness, what Jesus actually expects, they're like, no, I can't do that, right? Luke 17, verses 4 to 5. This is Jesus talking. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, Jesus says what? You have, to, you have to forgive them. What do the disciples say? They said to the Lord, increase our faith. See, their response in the translation, that's fine, but it, it gets lost in modern day translation. What they're saying is, I can't do that. I don't have enough faith. These are, these are people that left their lives to follow Jesus. I mean, anybody here just, like imagine tomorrow, just close up your office. Close everything down, put your keys on, your badge down, walk, and then go. That's what they did. And they've been doing that for a while. When they hear this, then they finally say, I can't do that. Where's my work badge? I don't think I can do this anymore, right? It's tough. But let me, let, let's get an idea of what that looks like today. Because it's one of the things, it's easy to read, but what does it look like? So let's take today, every one of you, when you leave church, when you leave here in a little bit, you're going to go home, you're going to north or side, whatever, on 512, and somebody cuts you off. You immediately honk, honk, you both pull over, and, and eventually, and imagine it's me for a minute. I'm the one that did that to you. And I say, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. It was me, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And what would you all say? You're in, first time, right, what'd you say? Okay. I'm sorry. I, I forgive you. That's cool. Whew, be careful next time. Let's go. And you get back in your car. You're about two blocks, and I do the exact same thing. Cut you off. Oh, we pull over, and you're like, mm. listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. What do you say? Okay. But you can tell you're going to be like, this one's a little harder. Okay, I forgive you. That's only two times. How many times did Jesus say we have to forgive? You got five more the same day. Now, I'm going to put everybody on the spot. You are in church. Be honest. Do you know anybody in their right mind that would do that? Seven times forgive them for the exact same thing. No. No. Nor would I. This is what, then the disciples heard this, why they said what? Increase our faith. I can't do that. How? That, that's not even logical. We, when we are called to follow Jesus Christ, to believe in him, we are called to a life that is not like anything else. And I've said this before. I've, I've studied a lot of other religions. I have friends that are other religions, Muslim, Buddhist. Christianity is the hardest by far because what we are required to do, number one, admit that we are a sinner, all of it, and then turn our life over and follow a man named Jesus Christ who did some impossible things. But that's what we're called to do. And when you come to that realization, two things happen. 
you go, holy smokes, I need help. I want to believe. I need help, but I want to believe. And then you start. Or, I think there's a loophole. Wasn't that bad. I know guys that did worse. You go into works, don't you? I'm going to start going to church all the time. Who's ever said that? Who knows? I'll, I'll just go to church. I'm going to go to church. Don't worry. I'm going to church. I'm going to give, you know what I mean? You know, if I win the life, I win the Magna Millions, I'm going to give half to this. Right? What is that? Works. It's what I like to call, jokingly, church push-ups. I got this. I'll just do so many push-ups. I'll be fine. I'll get it, earn it back. But is that true? Is that the gospel? No. Do we all know religions or even some denominations that have elements of that? Yes. And it's false. Because it gives you the false impression that you're okay when you're not okay. And that's why people pervert the gospel. That's why people teach a different one. Because the true gospel is not easy. It's very hard. And that's why we need faith. That's why this is so important. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the, and I'm going to say it like this, be careful. The problem with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I can say it that way, is that it doesn't give you wiggle room. It just doesn't. It is what it is. You can fool other humans, and you can fool me, you can fool people have done that, but you can't fool God. And when you hit that realization, you either do it or you look for loopholes. And that's what was happening in Galatia. They were hit with that gospel, and trust me, that is tough. And they're hit with another one. Well, Wayne, I can just, uh, you know, not eat pork. It'd be great. Right? The last thing that Paul says, and this is why he's so, I'm sorry, let's back up. This is why he's so serious. That's why he says twice, twice. If anyone, including angels, perverts this gospel, God's curse be on them. That's big stuff. Now, the last thing uh, Paul says is in verse 10. It's very true. He says, am I now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, this is, this is actually a really, really good point. If you change the message in any way, if you put your fingerprints all over it, it's no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not his disciple. To be a disciple means you teach exactly what he taught. If you want to please people, including yourself, you can mold it. You can change it. And I can tell you this is 100% true as a pastor. There's a lot of money in preaching the prosperity gospel. Did you know that? There's a lot. I would not have a mortgage if I really wanted to make some money. I would have four boats. I'd have an airplane if I really wanted to make some money. But I drive a used Prius. It's true. It's right over there, actually. What matters is the gospel. That's what matters. And you aren't saved by me. I have just as much hang-ups and faults and good days and bad days as anybody else. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that matters. Right? And that's why Paul says, I'm not here to please people. I'm not. And if you really take time and you share the message of Jesus Christ, the true message about repentance and you have to forgive, people have to forgive, not everybody's going to want to hear it. The hardest thing it is as a pastor is getting one grown adult to truly forgive another grown adult who has really hurt them. That, that seven times. I have encountered people that have said, I am not doing that. That is not happening. And that's where it stops. 
But the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to change lives. And also, and Jesus says, if you, want to, if you want to be forgiven, you must forgive others. If you want your God the Father to forgive you, you must do what? Forgive others. The gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. It's amazing. But it's not easy. And Paul's desire was that we get it right. Because each one of you matter. You matter. He wants everyone to have the chance to be saved. And so now that we're coming to the end of the teaching for today, this, this is what each one of us needs to know. This is what Paul wants us to know. Each one of us is called to salvation through Jesus Christ, through him. With that, within that call, there are some amazing blessings, grace and peace and hope, a new life, and all of that is completely free. It doesn't cost you a dime. But within that call, we must also admit that we're sinners, that we need to be saved, and that we must follow him. So like we do here in this church, we want everyone to be saved. We want everyone to have the chance to be saved. We want everyone to know Jesus Christ. So in a minute, we're going to say a prayer. And if anybody here has not given their life over to Jesus Christ, all you have to do is repeat the words that I say. You do it quietly right there in in your seat. Whatever you say is between you and God. But also, we're going to say a prayer for everyone else, too. Because we all go through difficult times. We get pulled away. Anyone ever been pulled away or just been busy and get off track? Happens. We're going to pray for all of us. That this church remains true. That you remain true. That our faith grows. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask, I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today we, we also pray for strength to endure all trials. May everything we go through, good and bad, may it strengthen our faith and our resolve, and may we always lean on you. Father, today we also we recommit ourselves to you. Many times in life we get pulled away, we, get, we fall out of sync with you, but today we make the choice to recommit to you. It's our choice, and we choose you. Father, we also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you. It's only through you and the saving grace of your son, Jesus, that we have hope. And Father, we pray is that as our faith grows for each one of us, you will use us as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom, to continue to take the message that Paul taught to the Galatians 2,000 years ago. Father, we thank you for this life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for your church. Most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to save us. In his name, we ask all these things. Amen.